Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. It's TV week at Screen Thoughts, O'Toole. It is Hollister, and this past week we lost one of the greats. We did. Mary Tyler Moore, is that what you're referring to? Yep. You know, Hollister, one thing that I never knew, she and her then-husband were the partners behind MTM Enterprises. I had no idea how many TV shows they produced. Oh, I know, a lot, In the 70s and 80s. Yep. The Mary Tyler Moore Show, WKRP in Cincinnati, The Bob Newhart Show, St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues. I was blown away by this list. But her finest moment, I think, is Ordinary People. I do. Look, I loved Mary Tyler Moore. You know, it meant more to Oprah than to me. But I do think her finest moment was Ordinary People. I think she was brilliant in it. And, you know, it is kind of sad when you look back on it now that back then in the 70s on the Mary Tyler Moore show, Mary Richardson never got married. Seven seasons and the show was able to end without marrying her off. Well, more importantly, she didn't care. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't that she didn't get married. It just wasn't even something she was looking for. So, I mean, that was one of the great things about it. I think that's what Oprah, why Oprah thought she was such a shining beacon for her is because she made it okay not to have that choice, you know. And she was a journalist. Uh, She was. But here's the thing that she wasn't. I mean, I went back and watched a couple of them to remember myself. She was br- she was not brilliant on the show. They didn't make oh. her so smart. You never saw her actually working. You just saw her in the work environment, but you never saw her brilliance. It's not like she wowed anybody with her acumen. And so, and I don't think the show could have taken it. I think it was just sort of, oh my gosh, she's got this fabulous life where she looks great and walks around New York being, you know, uh, you know what I mean? But she was never brilliant in the show. She wasn't. Now, I read this. I thought this was interesting. Did you know the opening lines of the theme song, Love is All Around, were rewritten? So these were the original lyrics. How will you make it on your own? The world is awfully big. And girl, this time you're all alone. <laughs> well, but <laughs> hey, to their credit, to... they changed it. I mean, you know, you got to give them, yep. Who can turn the world on with her smile? Oprah had two shining beacons. One was Mary Tyler Moore, and the other one was Barbara Walters. Really? Yeah, I had and, no and idea. Oprah was in a, a beauty contest when she was 16. And by the time they got to her about what do you want to be, or, you know, when you grow up, they all the good answers had been taken. And she had just seen Barbara Walters on the news that morning. So she said, Barbara, I want to be Barbara Walters. I want to be a TV journalist, even really? though she had no interest in TV journalism at that moment in time. So anyway, but yes, yeah, Barbara Walters was a shining beacon and Mary Tyler Moore because she said she had no shining beacons growing up. There wasn't anybody in her life. So she had to turn to TV and it was Mary Tyler Moore. So Mary Tyler Moore, there's a great video. Mary Tyler Moore surprised her on a show and Oprah fell apart. She began sobbing. <laughs> And then she tried to tell Mary Tyler Moore what she meant to her. Mary Tyler Moore kept patting her, saying, I know, I know. (laughs) I don't remember anything. I remember seeing Mary and then just trying to control myself. And then the flood of everything she means to to me, everything. I'm now thinking of every Saturday night, I sat there with a conditioner on my hair for the 30 minutes of the Mary Tyler Moore show, wouldn't rinse it out. (laughs) I'm thinking of 
every single time I try to mock her wearing the vest with the little tie. Wearing, I, I, I'm thinking of wanting the O above my refrigerator because she had an M on hers. I'm thinking of wanting to move to Minneapolis because I thought she really lived there. I'm thinking of all of that and what she's meant to me. And there she is. Now I've got to be able to express that. And does she know? It was, it was, it was crazy. You have no idea what you've meant to me. Yes, I think I do. <laughs> I just want to say that, you know, there are many times in our lives when there are those of us who we only had the television yes. for inspiration. And mm. you were one of those women yeah. who was a light. You're gonna make it after all. I can't. It, it was one of the most happiest and delirious out-of-body moments I've ever had. Did you see where she actually does the opening to Mary Tyler Moore? Oprah goes through and drives a car and has a big smile. Did you see that part of it? This is one of the favorite, most fun things I've ever done. I cannot watch this enough. Take a look. <laughs> And it is so funny, but Oprah said whenever she was having a bad day, she played it and made her feel better. So yeah, it's so funny. You know, this is one last thing. I read one of Mary Tyler Moore's very first roles was on a 1950s series called Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Where she played a receptionist with a sexy voice, but you only heard her voice and saw her legs. The part was completely uncredited. And I read that Mary Tyler Moore was fired for asking for a raise. But the good thing is that she got to reveal it was her, because I guess there was kind of this following around, you know, who did the legs belong to. <laughs> so, you know, hats off to Mary Tyler Moore. So to speak, yes. Okay, we have to move on to our list of six. We're doing the six best movies directed by women. At first I thought, you know, this is going to be an easy one because there's not that many movies directed by women. I'm happy to report this is harder than I thought it would be. I think I know who you're going to say. I bet you're going to get one of my three. One of them has to be, um, what is the one you love so much? What's <laughs> you, you know the director, but... Nancy Myers. It's the Nancy yes. Myers film. But wait, it's not, yes, it it's, it's not the one I like, which is it's complicated. It's the other one. It's so funny that the title's not occurring to you because throughout the entire film shoot, Nancy Myers couldn't come up with a better title. And she even asked everybody on the crew, she had a contest and said, surely we can come up with a better title. Huh. Something's got to give. <laughs> you stay where you are. I have an intruder in my house. You don't understand. I'm dating your daughter. <gasps> oh, you're dating my daughter? Now, who would have thought that would be worse news? I thought Nancy Myers really reinvigorated the rom-com huh. with well, Something's Gotta Give. There you Just go. Just when I thought you can't possibly have another permutation I on the romantic comedy, pick she found one. one. I did. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to start off with The Hurt Locker. You know, it's directed by Catherine Bigelow, who, you know, mm -hmm. was just... I thought she was brilliant at portraying the suffering and the gore of war, but more importantly, she added womanly touches that I thought made the film so much more poignant. Like, um, let me give you one. Okay, so at w like one, the tough, you know, the Sergeant William James, I think that was his name. Okay, and it was played by Jeremy Renner, who I thought did a great job too. But anyway, he yeah. takes a moment out of a drawn-out, stress-filled battle to quench this, like, thirst that he has that clearly suffers from being in the sun and the desert the way they were. 
So um, it also reminded me that we've read, we often do not have enough bottled water for the troops, just by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the sun is scorching, and he methodically unwraps the straw with his teeth, and then his blood-stained hands are like on his gun sight and the bag of juice. And he doesn't drink it himself. He leans over to his fellow soldier, and then he puts it, you know, gives it to him and tells him to drink it. It's a woman's moment, something that I just don't think would have been done by a male director in that moment. I just don't. And it tells the inside story of the, you know, the story of family within a unit that, you know, I thought just reached further than the blood bonds we have all, you know, have in our our own family, so to speak. I think it showed that personal um, commitment to each other in war that you don't see often. So for me, the fact that she, you know, took the directorship of, of a movie that normally for sure would have, I thought it was been done by a man. I thought was really, really bold of her and also bold of them to let her. And, um, you know, I, I had to go with it. So that's what I'm going now, with. I didn't make it to that woman's moment because I was watching that movie with a friend and we didn't get very far in where the head explodes inside the helmet. Oh, <laughs> I for just God's remember sake. You're always buried in the details, you We know? stopped watching. Well, I mean, here we go. I start with something's got to give, and you start with the Hurt Locker, but you know what Okay, wait, are, what are you trying to say about me? Just go ahead and say uh, it know, out loud. I, clearly, we start with different tones, but okay, I is think this a Hannibal really Lecter moment again? Are we back to Hannibal? <laughs> well, you know, it was a very interesting Oscar night that year when Catherine Bigelow became the first female director to win an Oscar for a feature film. Well, not only that, it wasn't just a feature film, it was that one. It was a war film. Who knew? Yes, but remember what else was up that had received so many nominations? Uh, no, I don't. Avatar, which was directed by her, her ex-husband, ex-husband yeah, James exactly, Cameron. Exactly. And yet Catherine Bigelow, who, you know, James Cameron had sent her the script to Avatar and said, you know, I would love your notes. And supposedly she sent him the script to the Hurt Locker before she shot it and said, I'd love your notes. He said, I don't have a single one. And he goes, but she had some for me. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's so him. Right. Okay. What's your second one? Okay. I just want to say, since I had trouble. I know. Uh, but wait, one of them is, three, is, is it Nora Ephron? No, it's not. Huh. You didn't do Nora? No, I didn't. Oh my God. I didn't pick her because I figured you would for sure do Sleepless in Seattle well, or something. Not only that, but I have to I have to put a, a limiting qualifier on this. I decided to only do feature films okay. because there are so many documentaries directed by women that I've loved. And I'm also leaving out animated films. So there goes Persepolis. Okay. So my next but one. Wait, there you go. Layering in other options. I again. know, but I just want to be clear because okay, it go was ahead. hard. What, to, is it? Okay. what is it? What is it? After the wedding. Directed by Susanna Beer from huh. Denmark, starring Mads Mikkelsen and Sitsa Babit Knudsen from Borgen. This movie, the entire way through, I did not know how it was going to end. I think it's a master class in plot. And I'm so happy that her next film won the Oscar. She's the same director who won the Emmy for The Night Manager. Huh, very good. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm going to, because you mentioned the documentary you didn't put in because it wasn't a feature... I almost put in Triumph of the Will. Oh. By? Leni Riefenstahl. Exactly. But I decided that when you make a movie that glorifies evil, I just couldn't couldn't put it out there. You know, it's the, mm-hmm. it's, she followed Hitler around and, and did a, it was a Nazi propaganda film that, you know, was quite controversial, but also a woman filmmaker at that time, just unheard of. And so, but I didn't do it because it was a documentary. Okay. My next one is The Prince of Tides. By Barbara with Barbara Streisand. I thought that might make it onto your list. Really? Why did you think that? Mm -hmm. 
Well, you've mentioned it before. Yeah, I, li- I, I like the movie, mm-hmm. but also I think that she took, I don't know if you read the book or not, but the book is so tediously long and complex and, you know, to be able to pull it together and tell the full story, but in a, it in a two hour movie, I thought she did a really, really good job. I thought that and Yentl, you know, but, but I picked the Prince of Tides. I th- I think it was one of you the know, best. I'm just going to say you yeah. snuck another one in there. I just did. Now. I'm learning from you. I'm learning from the master <laughs> of cheaters. Okay. Okay. What's your third? Okay, my third one. I'm going with another European director, Doris Duryea's movie Mena, which translates hmm. as just men. It was a comedy. Doris Duryea, who directed it and wrote it. And by the way, you might notice that all three of mine were both written and directed. By the same woman. What, do you think you'll get extra credit for that? Well, I just think, again, that there's that unity in vision. When the writer and director are the same, I think yeah, they usually I don't, I don't just... Think you don't get extra credit for that. It's okay. kind of an interesting point. Okay. But um, Doris Duria, she also, she's written novels, she's directed operas, she's just got huge creative range. But if you haven't seen it, it's from the 80s, it's a German comedy about an affair. And I'm not going to say anything more, but I think it's actually kind of profound in what it has to say about okay. relationships. Okay. Okay, my last one, I, I think you would not have guessed this one. I'm going to use Clueless. It made my short list. Oh, my it gosh. Did. Yeah, Clueless written yeah, written and directed by Amy Heckerling. And mm-hmm. I thought her translation to the present day of the great Emma, uh, Jane Austen's Emma, which is one of my favorite books, I just thought it was so well done. So I'm giving it to her. So that's mine. Just out of curiosity, what else was on your short list? Learning to Drive. Great movie. Yeah. I thought Written it was, by I, a woman, directed but also, by a woman. I thought it was really, really woman. beautifully directed. I thought it was I thought it was perfection, as you know. And, and that yeah. one I'm impressed that the director also did her own camera work. Yeah. So did you ask me that question because you wanted me to ask it back? Because <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to because I'm not going to. It's not in yeah. store for me today. Okay. Okay, but it's not. Yep. I feel like we we should have had Penny Marshall on the list. Okay, you can't start doing this where you add stuff. It's six. That's all we get, and we're moving along. We've got too much to talk about today. You're really feeling it for the sisterhood today. Okay, Hollister. Okay, we're moving on. But even though you don't want to hear from me, we would love to hear from our okay. listeners. So I let us know. I would always Screen happy to hear from at them. gmail.com. Exactly. Okay, so we are gonna talk about today. Um, the new season of television that's hit the screen. And we decided to focus on a bunch of things that we've talked about before, but we're going to bring them up. And one of them, let's just start with This Is Us. I think it's the best TV show out today. And you? I totally agree. Oh, my God. Which makes me so happy. I love the cutting back and forth between the branches on the family tree. I love the humor of this show, the real emotion, the sense of family, the characters, the dialogue. I I just can't say enough about it. Well, and the acting is great. The writing is tremendous. Mm -hmm. And it 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 just flies by. And I want to talk about episode two in season one after the break. So um, it's still called season one, but it's episode two in the the second set of the series. I just, I thought that storyline about her giving birth and the doctor and the doctor's wife dying and I just, I, it, it just tore me apart, but in a way that, that talked about the humanity of our lives and the disappointments and the and the good things and, you know, I mean, you know, uh, silver linings and just, I, it, I just thought it was genius. I thought it was so well done, didn't you? Alistair, do you know what I love about this show 
above all else. What? I love that love is the dominant emotion uh, in each yeah. of the relationships. Yeah. I love that about this show. Yeah, it is. And even the sibling, you know, the birthday show, uh, mm-hmm. you know, their birth, uh, you know, uh, you just can't, you can't, you c- could not make it up better. It's just amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And some of these lines, for example, when Kevin says, you know, creative types, we don't really have partnerships. When he's talking about relationships, he says we have partnerships. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so quirky. And yeah. then I thought, I wonder if Hollister is laughing out loud at the same moment when Mandy Moore is so pregnant with the triplets that shoes will no longer fit on her feet and she has to duct tape her feet into flip-flops to go to the store. Uh, I didn't laugh at that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm the one who's not been through childbirth. But another moment that made me laugh out loud was when Kevin was going to date Sloane because he said, sometimes you just have to do the right thing. And of course, she overhears this. And then she says to him later, you basically called me the girl equivalent of wearing a seatbelt in a cab. (laughs) I thought it was a great line. You know, there is, there's every single thing that could possibly happen. And there's a mirror into everyone's life in this show. It's really, really good. You've got to watch it if you haven't started. But start at the beginning. Don't start in the middle start at the beginning. It was one of these two episodes that you referenced. They referenced Mary Tyler Moore in Ordinary People. I know. And how she well, plays a complicated mother. I know. Well, she was a complicated mother in Ordinary People. It was a complicated part. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move on to Homeland. Now, we know that me, Hollister, has always loved Homeland, but I was when, you know, Damien was hung, which was one of the most traumatic moments I've ever seen on TV. I, I, you know, it was very traumatic for me. I haven't gotten over him leaving, leaving the um, series, but um, so I'm a huge fan. So I want to start off by saying that because what I'm going to say next is this season is going too slow. It's just too slow and not enough is happening. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting that you say that Hollister, because as you know, I haven't watched since the execution. Did you watch? And I don't even remember. I thought you didn't even watch The Execution, did you? You know, you could be right. I think you did. Maybe didn't. I never, maybe I, I just read about it and I feel like it's true. But now the problem is, ever since I saw Anne Hathaway do the Saturday Night Live skit, I can't watch Claire Danes without thinking about the skit, wondering if her eyebrows are ever going to go down or if she's ever going to blink. No, David, no, no, David, no, no, David, no, no, no. So I was trying to get over that hurdle, but guess what I did do? What? It was something I've always been curious about. You know how Homeland is based on an original Israeli series called Prisoners of War? Yes. That is now available on Hulu. So I went and watched the pilot, and there were some interesting differences in the premise. And because you're so familiar with Homeland, just audit me and, and make sure that this is actually true. But when we first meet Brody, he's the only prisoner of war returned, right? Yes. Yes. In the original Israeli series, they bring back three. One is dead, so he's in a coffin, but they bring back two prisoners of war. And so, you know, their families are gathered at the airport, and those guys look so terrified and cowed and damaged. It was reminding me of that show 13 that we reviewed on the BBC, because in the Israeli series, guess how long they had been prisoners of war? How long? 17 years. Wow. And in Homeland, Brody wasn't gone that long, right? Uh, you know, uh, no. He can't, he can't no. have been. His I, kids think are it was, too young. I think it was eight years, but seven or eight years, I think Brody was. But do you, I remember when they, some, I think it was in the 70s, when they found somebody on some island, you know, in the Pacific, a Japanese soldier who had been 
been sort of hiding on this island for 30 years, waiting for someone to come and get him. I remember when they found him, and I remember being on the television thinking, wow, that's a long time (laughs) to wait for your orders of what to do next. But the commitment the Japanese have, you know, he was told to hide, so he was on this island where he was manning a... A radio or something. I don't remember exactly what the details were. We should look it up, but that's a long time. 17 years is a long time to be a POW. Oh my goodness. And Hollister, when he comes back looking so terrified, his wife looks like Andy McDowell. And I'm not familiar with POW etiquette, but I'm pretty sure when you've been a prisoner of war for 17 years and you're reuniting with your wife at an airport, the first words out of your mouth should not be, you put on weight. <laughs> Was that where those were the first words out of it? Okay, well, I, I Pretty don't, much. I don't and want to I talk about like, this anymore. Oh, We're done. Oh, my goodness. Really? And then this one, the same POW, he wants to drive his family home from the airport because he's missed driving so much over 17 years. He's about to start the engine, and he goes, wait, where do you, we, live? And I don't I don't mean to make this sound like a comedy. I mean, the Israeli version really packs an emotional punch. You realize these What's guys the name of it? were so tortured. Prisoners of War. Huh. Okay. You know what's interesting about the pilot, too, of the Israeli version? I did not recognize any of the characters being the Claire Danes equivalent. So you see negotiators at the beginning, and there's an older guy with white hair. And I thought, well, maybe he's like the Mandy Patinkin figure, but there's no female agent. Well, and if there were a female agent, I bet she wouldn't have all kinds of serious mental disorders, you know. But I will say that Quinn, you know, Quinn gets to show his acting acumen. I think it's a very difficult role he's playing now in this season. Mm-hmm. And you have to give it to him. He's on more than she is right now. I don't know if that's going to continue or not, but... Well, the episode I saw, I thought he really put in a Christian Bale-like performance. Yeah, very, very good. catatonic yep. guy. She really goes for damaged men. Um, well, she... No, she doesn't have a, uh, a relationship with him. Oh, she doesn't? No. She, she never did? No. no. Well, no. see, I just... You know, since she put him up in her house, I guess I was mixing it up with the affair. No, she's one of the, on one of the reasons he's so damaged is because she woke him up to find out where a bomb was going to go off which sent him into the convulsions. And they told her it might happen, but she did it anyway to save all these people. And he did go into convulsions that damaged him neurologically. So She woke him up from a coma? Well, it, you know what? I, I mean, I can't. I, I'm not going to be able to do this. You're going to have to go watch the season before because I'm not <laughs> going to. You know, I don't believe in book report versions of these shows, but <laughs> but I will say that uh, you know she feels partially responsible for the situation that he's in. Did she wake him up like that J-Law movie? Okay, you're not going to make fun of this show, but I will say that if they don't get it together, now the other thing is Mandy Patinkin, I've watched, I think, two episodes so far. I think he's only had maybe five minutes altogether. You know, Mandy's one of the great roles in this this, um, series. It's just a mistake not to have him have a bigger role. I don't understand what, why they did it this way, but it's one of those things where I'm beginning to realize that after a certain number of years, it's time to move on. You know what I mean? So, yes. Yeah. So now, all right, now should we move to the... It's we, one of your favorite refrains, actually, Hollister. It, it's time to move on. I, I hear it come out of your mouth quite a bit. Really? Oh. Well, In fact, I have the feeling you're about to say it right now. I okay. am. Let's move yes. to Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> okay. Choose me, pick me, love me. 
Okay, Grey's Anatomy. Now, I know you've missed a bunch of seasons, right? But I've been into them all. I've watched them all. Hollister, I had to laugh. I went to abc.com, and I'm about to click on the little episode, and it says, Arizona, Miranda, and Joe go to prison. And I was like, huh? I pretty much haven't seen it since the plane crash era. But, of course, I click play, and I hear previously on Grey's Anatomy. And I thought, okay, I hope this is a very cogent summary, because I have missed a lot. And yet, I have to tell you, watching the prison episode... I thought it seemed very familiar. It still had Meredith's voiceover, bookending the episode, the same rhythms. Everyone yeah. pretty much looked the no, same. The template, the same of, yeah, the template of the show has not changed at all. Mm-hmm. But here's what I decided's happened. I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to continue watching, and I, I don't know if that's sacrilege. <laughs> you say this after 13 seasons? You know, I think you've really done your time there, Hollister. Okay, a lot of people are committed for life, so I'm just saying I may be walking out on them. I may be divorcing them this year. You you always say you have ADD, and yet you've stuck around for 13 seasons Yeah, but I'm multitasking during the whole thing. Oh. Okay, but here's what I decided. It is. The template's the same. The voiceovers, all that stuff's the same. Here's what's different. At the, the first five seasons, their interactions with each other were, were tremendous. And that was really what the show was about. So there was no one person who each, each um, episode, the, it, you know, the entire arc was about that one person. And what's happening now is... It's one person, or in this particular episode, there were uh, the first episode of this season, there were three people. So it was Meredith and um, Joe and Miranda. So the entire thing was just the three of them, and there's nobody else in it. And I think it's a mistake, because I think what was so brilliant about it was the the group of people having a play in what, whatever was happening with the individual. So... Mm-hmm. Everyone had You're absolutely right. Yeah, everyone had a segment inside each episode, and now it's not true. And so, a, it makes it go way too slow. And b, I will say that the opening scene of the, this season, with the three of them in the car on their way to the prison, was really badly acted. It wasn't. It was I, badly acted. It was O'Toole was badly I, acted. I didn't mind it. And when they arrive at the prison and they're getting patted down by the guard. And Arizona says, um, you know, by the way, I've got a prosthetic leg. I was like, okay, maybe I haven't missed that much, you know. But what was interesting to me is as they're walking through the prison, the Aaron Sorkin-esque walk and talk with the prison doctor taking them down these corridors to meet the felon who needs them. To me, it was so reminiscent of one of the very first episodes I ever saw where Miranda's walking the original five interns through the hospital on their first day. (laughs) And yet here, Miranda's one of the people looking wigged out and trying to keep up. You know, it just, it isn't good. It's just not. It's really not. To me, it feels a little bit like going back to a high school reunion to try to figure out how people's lives turned out. And you're like, whoop. <laughs> Maybe we're no longer in the heyday. Well, but- or, but also part of it is that that they have changed this interaction that was everyone to, you know, you know each, each one has a different arc with a different bunch of people and it's not good. Not good. And yet I, I did enjoy some of the dialogue. Like when they're talking about the prison and Joe says no one intends to end up here, stuff happens. And Miranda turns around and says, stuff does not just happen to you, you happen to stuff. I was like, okay, same cadence, same kind of humor, you know. But I, I'm, I'm sure you'll recall from our Grey's podcast that we did last year, I was such a dedicated follower of the show when it first came out. But, you know, 13 seasons, kudos. 
Kudos well, to uh, now look, kudos to Shonda Rhimes, you know, who's keeping this mm-hmm. alive this way when all kinds of, you know, when Derek died, you know, I mean, there's so many things that have happened. But I will also say that I think there's some flaws now that there weren't before. And um, do you do you think the show's on a defibrillator? I do. I do. <laughs> I think it needs to keep it alive I, on I oxygen. Do, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. But also for me, when Christina Yang left. I think they should have had her, you know, first of all, she didn't die. She's one of the few people who hasn't, isn't dead. And mm-hmm. I think they should bring her back a couple of times during the season because th- what's missing is her sarcasm. There's nobody, there's no, you know, sarcasm, brilliant, you know, standout, exceptional, you know, th- she's missing. There's no character that replaced her character in that way. And I think that was really necessary to gelling the entire thing together. Now, did you see where one of our listeners sent us the trailer to Sandra Oh's new movie coming out, uh, Catfight? No. With Anne H. How many glasses is that for you? Whatever. <laughs> Jesus drank wine. Jesus, you look like someone I went to college with. Hi, Veronica. I have nothing left to do in this life but destroy you. Well, why don't you come in and I'll make you some breakfast first. Catfight, huh? She really could be a kickboxer if she weren't an actor. I'm still recovering from that punch she threw in Sideways, where she gave Thomas Hayden Church the bloody nose. Yeah, she's great. She's certainly one of my beacons. So that one's coming out in March, so I think we'll have to do your your same <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, now The Path. You had not seen the first season, which I loved and talked about. No, but I had read your written review on our site, okay. thoughts.net. Okay, so? Here we are, back with Michelle Monaghan, who we just talked about two weeks ago in Patriot's Day. I think the acting is great. It's very tight. And for people who like this mystery, thriller, romance, supernatural mixing of genres, I think they'd really love it. But for me, I just have a hard time spending that much time with the cult being the premise. Much as doubt is a very powerful driving force in drama, the cult thing is not really my my thing. All of you have chosen something different. You have the light to shape the world around you. It has become my hope that this will set me free because I'm haunted. I think it's supposed to be based on Scientology. You know, and, and Scientology has the same thing. You know, you get to different levels. You have to climb this ladder that's very difficult to get from one rung to the next rung. And a lot of the premises are based on the same thing. So in the first season, it was very much Scientology-based, okay? And then it, now in this season, it's a little more... Um, did you watch... So what did you watch? Tell me what you watched. I watched the pilot from the first season. Okay. And then I watched the first episode of this season. Yeah. It's, and then I skimmed through a little bit of the other episodes. So it's 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 now gone off a little bit off the tracks in terms of, you know, I mean you know, there's all kinds of death. And, you know, now we are actually seeing that maybe there is some sort of light or some sort of, in the first season, you you sort of felt like, okay, it wasn't real. It was based on sort of manipulating people into believing it was real. And now it's sort of turning out to be real. So I just think it's really interesting. And I think that the acting is so good um, that it's worth the watch. I mean, I certainly don't put it at the top too, but I cert- I I definitely will continue watching The Path. Will you? I don't think so. And yet it's true. The actor's Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. Is that where and he's from? Notice- I, yeah, I, for- I did not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hugh Dancy, who of course in real life is married to Claire Danes from Homeland. Wait, 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 wait. Actors- Which one is married to Claire Danes? 
Hugh Dancy, who plays Cal. Oh, I didn't know that, huh? Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, here he's got an American accent, but of course in real life he's British. And there are two actors on the path who were on The Affair, Deirdre O'Connell and Peter Freeman yeah. from The Affair. Well, he Deirdre, played the husband of the author yeah. agent, exactly. Joanna Gleason. I didn't keep watching The Affair, which you have kept watching, right? I have, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. Hollister, you know what The Path reminds me of? A movie that came out a couple years ago. Do tell. And speaking of female directors, it was Vera Farmiga's directorial debut. You know I loved her in Up in the Air. Right. She did a movie called Higher Ground. Huh. And she was in was it. Was it higher was... ground than up in the air? <laughs> oh, gosh. When I'm funny, it's always shocking to everyone. I know, right? Two Tony winners were in it. Norbert Leo Butts, who you know from Bloodline, and Bill Irwin. Huh. It had to do with faith and relationships and doubt. One interesting thing about that movie, Vera Farmiga wanted to have flashback scenes to her younger self. So in real life, one of her sisters is 21 years younger than her. They have the same parents. She had no desire to be an actress like her older sister, but Vera just convinced her to be in the movie to play her younger version. Hmm. So she did it. Higher Ground then went on to be showcased at Sundance, and her younger sister was just offered a part on American Horror Story. So she had never done anything but a high school play, listened to her sister, and ended up with you know, a very desired TV show. Wow, huh? Good for her. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about the affair a little bit? Cause it just started up too. It's not unlike what you just said about the path where at first you think it's about a fraudulent cult and people beginning to doubt it or not doubt it. And then you realize that some of these visions might really be happening. Uh-huh. They're using that device in a way on the affair where you've got Brendan Fraser playing a totally creepy prison guard. And then as this new season goes on, you don't know if it's really happening or if Noah's having hallucinations. Wow. So Brendan Fraser gets to play it both ways, and I really hope he gets nominated for something because he's doing a fantastic job. Very cool. Very cool. I would love to see the story Bible of these writers if they knew all along exactly how they wanted to wind it up, <laughs> yeah. which is harder and harder to Wait, do Wait, is it winding up the season? No, I don't think so. But, you know, it's harder to do because in today's landscape where it's so competitive to be on TV, to stay on TV, you're never guaranteed you're going to be continued. Huh. Very good. But now I I had a few questions about the path. Okay. I thought I remembered this from your written review, but I didn't see it there. Could the boy who plays Hawk look any more like Heath Ledger? No, he couldn't with dark hair. Yep. I know. And even the blonde girl looks kind of like a young Bridget Fonda. I know. I know. I know. By the way, the Heath Ledger thing, I didn't want to say it because there's just something about it that's disquieting almost, and he's Mm -hmm. really good, too. He has that same depth of character that Heath Ledger had when he played a part, and Mm -hmm. um, he's very, very good in it, yeah. And yet they do do all these supernatural devices like the music and the slow door openings and the intrigue to figure out what's behind the closed door. Okay, so now am I wrong about this, but it seems to me from my limited viewing of the path... That the characters are not all good or all bad. Like even Hugh Dancy playing Cal, he's not an entirely evil character, right? I don't know. I I find him pretty evil. But no, I know what you mean. He does have some redeeming features. And certainly in this season, he, he, you know, I mean, the fact that he, you know, tells the truth about what happened when he killed somebody, you know, I mean, he does. You're right. Nobody's all good or all bad. But isn't that true in life as well, you know? Which makes it 
infinitely more viewable because in the the very first episode, the pilot of season one, where he goes to beat up the girl's father yeah. who sold her off at the age of 11, I thought, oh, maybe he is actually a good guy. Or even the first episode of this season where he's listening to the tapes of Mother Teresa. I don't think he's using it completely for scam purposes, although I don't know. It's all very delicate. Your fragile house of lives, it could collapse at any moment. Night is only beginning. He's a greedy guy. Even when you watch him bid for that building that he should have walked away from, you know, that was Mm -hmm. about greed. That was about self-aggrandizement and greed. And, you know, I I think overall his qualities are not good ones, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. And I did like how Hulu describes the show. They said each episode takes an in-depth look at the gravitational pull of belief and what it means to choose between the life we live and the life we want. Well, yeah. And I do think that's very yeah. interesting. Um, I, absolutely. But also what's interesting is I, there's a lot of faith in this movie, and I think that's a good thing. And I think that her pureness, she's all good. Well, no, that's not true. She has a couple of bad qualities. But um, but I think that the one of the, the fibers of it, you know, is faith. Like, you know, not not just blind faith, but believable faith. Like you find it inside yourself. And I think there's some nice messages in it, but I think it's a tough show. I think it depletes mm-hmm. you. When you've watched the the hour, you're exhausted. You know, it's not something where you where you turn it off and you bounce up and think, oh, you know, I've just been to a five-minute dance contest. You know, it's just not. Mm-hmm. It takes something away from you. It doesn't necessarily add something to you. And I think that's really sort of interesting. That's very well put, because I do think Michelle Monaghan is doing a phenomenal job acting in this. Uh-huh. But last night, when I had an extra hour of all the shows we mentioned today, guess which one I just voluntarily turned on to watch another episode of? This is us. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, where's the question <laughs> you know? on that one? Yeah, That was not a hard question, by the way. That was first grade, you know, so. Because there, even though there's organic conflict, I find the tone overall so uplifting. Huh. Very good. Yeah, it is. Well, there is, I mean, we that's what I mean. When you watch it, even though it's some of it's really sad, you mm-hmm. somehow you just there's hope. There's all kinds of goodness when you when you and, and the path takes you down a dark path. It's not taking you, you know, the same way that this is us does. And by the way, I love the title of This Is Us. It's like, this is mm-hmm. us, take it or leave it, here we are, you know. This is us is the one where I'm actually seeing the light. I, there you go. But I want to end with something else. I know what you wanted to end with. You wanted to end with my short list, our favorite movies directed by women. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, now, I, we didn't put this on the list to talk about, but Top Chef, can I just mention it quietly, whispering it? Yes, you can. Top Chef. <laughs> Top Chef is in um, Charleston this season, and it is spectacular the food is great you can taste it by watching it you know and not even have the calorie content of it and i it's not to be missed so if you're a top chef charleston charleston really has some fantastic restaurants you know it's funny they're not taking us into that many of the restaurants but they're certainly talking about the food and there's just some interesting characters you know, one of them is the governor chef of some i mean is it tennessee maybe I can't remember what state he's from, but he's just so cute and funny. You know, he's, you know, I, well, I won't tell you, he's, he's, he's no longer up for grabs in it, but, um, but it's just, it's just worth the watch. If you just want something light to do other things to, you know, fold the laundry and watch Top Chef, 
it's a good idea. So this podcast was all about TV. Hollister, I forgot. I do have one burning question about Grays. Okay. They mentioned in this episode that Alex Karev is going to prison because he took the plea bargain. Yep. What? the heck did he do you know what i don't know that i'm going to tell you that okay i'm gonna uh, the only reason i'm gonna tell you you don't deserve the answer but i'm gonna give it to you anyway he came in and he thought joe who he wanted to marry he thought she was with somebody else from the the hospital she wasn't but it looked like she was because she was drunk and he beat the guy to a pulp and the guy basically had him arrested for assault and it was assault and so he especially when you think professionally he takes a vow of first do no harm. Exactly. Well, guess what? He did a lot of harm. The guy was really bad. He, I mean, he almost died. And so he took the hypocritical oath. Yeah, so to speak. So that's what happened to him, but you didn't deserve that answer having bailed out after the plane crash, which is, you know, eons ago. I mean, you were probably 10 when the plane crash happened. Well, Christina Yang, I mean, Hollister. Yeah. Do you want to call it? What? You want to call the episode? Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> 